witness must show up. Our subpoenas are not optional. Well, they are now, apparently. Who knew? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KBGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, <laughs> for a change, it's a big news day. Go figure. <laughs> uh, first, let me start. I, t- I sense yeah. a little bit of sarcasm there. No, no, not for me. <laughs> Where'd you get that idea? Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. Another 21 tornadoes swarmed through four states, which would normally be huge news, but I don't know if you've heard about it. 21 states uh, swarmed through four states, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. Over the past 24 hours, according to the National Weather Service, more are possible in my old home state of Missouri and in Arkansas. That follows a swarm of 67 Twisters over the weekend with flood warnings and severe weather warnings now in half a dozen states, including your old home state, Desi Doyne of yes, Texas. And flash flood warnings, too. Be careful out this there. This is folks. Uh, near uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were a number of high water rescues had to be made so far today as our climate crisis continues to grow, seemingly with each passing week these days, each passing day these days, I should say, as detailed in our latest Green News report a little bit later, which also includes new detailed aggressive policies to address our climate emergency from two different 2020 Democratic hopefuls. Yeah, they're pretty cool, actually. And another coal company bankruptcy, even under Donald Trump, 
who will end Donald Trump's war on coal. Anyway, that's all coming up in the Green News Report a little bit later. Also, some election news today. Some actually really troubling election news, if I can get to it, uh, including, yes, a new case of GOP absentee ballot fraud. That never seems to end either, not in North Carolina this time, but in Florida and a horrifying nightmare scenario out there for the city of Baltimore. And, well, we'll try to get to it. And if I have time, as introduced, I've been trying to get to this for the last couple of days. uh, Senate Democrats have introduced a new bill for election reform before 2020. Good luck getting that passed. But at least the plan includes a mandate for a hand-marked paper ballot for every voter. Finally. So there's that. Anyway, we'll try to get to as much of that as we can. But first, speaking of never ending, today's constitutional crisis update for you. We need some theme music for this, Des. Uh, <laughs> hey, if anybody's got any suggestions for a music suggestion for our constitutional crisis update, uh, please hit me uh, via email at bradcast at bradblog.com or even on the Twitters where you will find me at the Brad blog if you have any good ideas. Let's start here. Former White House counsel Don McGahn was a no-show on Tuesday morning at a U.S. House committee hearing infuriating Democrats who are ramping up calls to start impeachment proceedings against President Trump, despite continued resistance, at least for now, from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. During an opening statement, House Judiciary Committee Gerald Nadler vowed that his panel would eventually hear McGahn's testimony about alleged obstruction of justice by Donald Trump, quote, even if we have to go to court to secure it. When this committee issues a subpoena, even to a senior presidential advisor, the witness must show up. Our subpoenas are not optional. Mr. McGahn has a legal obligation to be here for this scheduled appearance. If he does not immediately correct his mistake, this committee will have no choice but to enforce the subpoena against him. Mr. McGahn did not appear today because the president prevented it. Just as the president has said that he would, quote, fight all subpoenas, close quote, issued by Congress as part of his broader efforts to cover up his misconduct. Let me be clear. This committee will hear Mr. McGahn's testimony, even if we have to go to court to secure it. We will not allow the president to prevent the American people from hearing from this witness. We will not allow the president to block congressional subpoenas, putting himself and his allies above the law. We will not allow the president to stop this investigation and nothing in these unjustified and unjustifiable legal attacks will stop us from pressing forward with our work on behalf of the American people. We will hold this president accountable one way or the other. Probably be the other. That was Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. And I got to tell you, I do not like covering this stuff. There's a lot of other stuff that I would much rather cover. But we are talking about what is likely to be the impeachment of a president of the United States. 
seems kind of important. Nadler's remarks came at the outset of the second empty chair hearing this month held by the Judiciary Committee. Three weeks ago, you'll recall Attorney General William Barr declined to appear as well. Yes, the Attorney General failed to show up for testimony in the U.S. House. Tuesday's hearing lasted just 23 minutes in the judiciary as Democrats moved to adjourn after Nadler and Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia, the Republicans' uh, top uh, committee member, delivered their opening statements. Democrats declined to press for a vote to hold McGahn in contempt of Congress today. Why? I don't know. Why wouldn't they just take one right then and there? He was supposed to show up. He was subpoenaed to show up, and he didn't. Why not hold a vote of contempt? I suspect Republicans would have. I suppose if uh, if I want to give the Democrats the benefit of the doubt here, perhaps they feel that they get two separate news cycles out of this news, maybe. One, when McGahn fal- fails to uh, show up uh, based on White House orders to not do so, and another when they then vote to hold McGahn in contempt of Congress. I guess. I don't know. You know, I really speculating the idea of taking two news cycles means that there's a lot of mischief that can be done by the propagandists in the meantime. Nadler suggested such a move could be taken very soon if McGahn, quote, does not immediately correct his mistake, unquote, of declining to appear, which, of course, he will not. Though he should, he is actually thought to be a fairly serious, if right wing attorney in Washington, D.C., as opposed to one of Trump's. Uh, clown lawyers, uh, a contempt citation could have serious ramifications on McGahn's career. The uh, White House announced on Monday that it would block McGahn from testifying on Tuesday, even though McGahn no longer works at the White House as White House counsel. That was just the latest act of defiance in the ongoing conflict between House Democrats and Donald Trump. Democrats hoped McGahn would become a star witness in their investigation into whether Trump obstructed justice, given that the former White House counsel delivered critical testimony in a whole bunch of instances of obstruction by Trump that are detailed in the report by special counsel Robert Mueller for anyone who actually bothers to read it. There's a lot of Trumpers who have not bothered, and Fox News hasn't told them a thing about it. I'll get to that in a bit. Anyway... There was there is in the Mueller report t- uh, testimony that McGahn was told by Donald Trump to instruct the Justice Department to fire the special counsel. And then Trump later told McGahn to lie about him having told McGahn to fire the special counsel. McGahn, McGahn was also told to create a, a, quote, letter to file saying that Trump did not obst- uh, instruct him to help remove the special counsel that after McGahn had refused to lie to the press about it because the New York Times had reported on this story and the story was true. So to McGahn's credit, he did none of those things. Instead, he threatened to resign if need be. Those were all unlawful, obstructive acts. Yes, crimes, as some correctly call them committed by the President of the United States. A 15-page legal opinion written by Assistant Attorney General Steve Engel argued that McGahn could not be compelled to testify before the Judiciary Committee based on past Justice Department legal opinions regarding the President's close advisors. 
That will be challenged, of course, as well. The Monday memo said that McGahn's immunity from congressional testimony was separate and even broader than a claim of executive privilege, which Trump has now attempted to invoke for the entire Mueller report, even the parts that have already been released to the public. And even though he failed to invoke such immunity, uh, executive uh, privilege immunity, before McGahn spent some 30 hours testifying to the special counsel, which means Trump missed his chance to invoke executive privilege on all of that information that McGahn shared with the special counsel, and that was then released publicly as well, at least under all uh, case law prior to Donald Trump taking office. Who knows what his stolen U.S. Supreme Court may do when all of this inevitably gets to them, which is clearly the aim of the Trump administration and his private attorneys at this point. His only hope, in truth, according to most ex legal experts, is that uh, he'll get a... Uh, favorable ruling from his packed U.S. and stolen U.S. Supreme Court. During his remarks today, Nadler asserted that the case law is on the committee's side here. He accused Trump of seeking to intimidate McGahn from appearing, calling that, quote, not remotely acceptable, unquote. McGahn's no-show was the latest episode, however, in a sweeping attempt by Trump and his administration to resist all constitutional oversight by the co-equal branch of Congress in the Democratic-led House. Now, separately on Tuesday, Trump's personal lawyers notified a federal judge that they have appealed, quote, all aspects of of that federal judge's ruling uh, that came in Monday in the middle of our, our show, finding that the president's accounting firm Mazars must, in fact, turn over his financial records to Congress as per a lawful subpoena. In a ruling uh, on Monday, that federal judge in that case flatly rejected arguments from the president's lawyers that the House Oversight Committee's demands for the records from Trump's accounting firm Mazars, the private accounting, uh, accounting firm Mazars, were overly broad and served no legitimate legislative function. Politico reports that uh, the Washington-based U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta's 41-page ruling found little merit in arguments from Trump's legal team that the oversight subpoena was so detached from Congress's legislative prerogatives that it should be quashed. The judge, who is a Barack Obama appointee, said it was not his task to second guess the legislators motives in these affairs. He said, quote, it is not the court's role to decipher whether Congress's true purpose in pursuing an investigation is to aid legislation or something more sinister, such as exacting political retribution. Largely all of Trump's attempts to block turning over his financial documents, whether it's his taxes from the IRS as, as per congressional statute or financial documents from his accounting firm, uh, his accountants at Mazars or his bank loan statements with uh, filed with Deutsche Bank or Capital One that are being sought in a separate subpoena and for the moment blocked by a nearly identical lawsuit filed by Trump and his family members uh, identical to the Mazars suit. 
the one that was largely laughed out of district court on Monday. Largely all of these attempts to block oversight are predicated on the idea, the claim that there is no legitimate legislative purpose to congressional oversight, which is a novel argument, though one that is largely untested in the courts because no one ever thought of making that argument before, as I understand it. Uh, Judge Mehta's response on Monday is not encouraging for the president and his family, however. He even rejected Trump's move for a temporary stay on the requirement for Mazars to turn over the subpoenaed financial documents. If the judge had decided to rule against Trump, they had hoped that, well, at least he will temporarily stay the decision. The hope by Team Trump was that since they had planned to appeal the judge's decision if they lost in this first round, the requirement to turn over the documents would would be at least put on hold until the appeals court could hear the Trump appeal. The judge, however, ruled against Trump on both accounts, all accounts, finding that their argument here was so thin that the president deserved no more deference than anyone else who might have tried to file such a weak claim in his court. And unless the appeals court slows it down, Mazars now has seven days to turn over the subpoenaed documents to the U.S. House Oversight Committee. The appeal now goes to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Hey, you know who's the chief justice there, Desi Doyen? I do. Some guy named Merrick Garland runs that court. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, without a further court order from a higher court, Trump's accountants are going to be compelled to turn over these uh, records as early as next week. Trump's expected stay request uh, at the appeals court will likely go to a three judge panel. If he can't get relief from them, he could try asking the full bench of the D.C. Circuit, including Merrick Garland, or he could make a plea to the Supreme Court, which is where I suspect all of this is going As Trump thinks, at least, uh, he now owns that court, the Supreme Court. We will find out because he might be right on that. He may. So uh, stay tuned for that. An almost identical case will be heard later this week in a different federal court in New York where Trump filed to uh, prevent Deutsche Bank and Capital One from answering congressional subpoenas there to turn over some eight years of Trump financial documents, Politico reports, Shortly after Judge Mehta in the other case in D.C. ruled on Monday against Trump, lawyers for the House filed a copy of Judge Mehta's decision with the judge in New York City, who's considering the Trump suit there against the banking records from Deutsche Bank and Capital One. In the meantime, while things are going the Democrats' way in court, they are still being stymied by the administration in Congress itself. House uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has scheduled a Democratic caucus meeting for Wednesday morning to discuss updates on oversight and investigations, according to several Democrats granted anonymity uh, from The Washington Post to discuss a meeting that had not yet been publicly announced. Members expect the meeting will include a robust discussion of whether to finally launch an impeachment inquiry against Trump. Pelosi as you likely know by now, has long been a skeptic of impeachment for reasons that I do not fully understand, but I'm trying to. Uh, She has tried to tamp down impeachment talk in her ranks as recently as last week by encouraging members to focus on their legislative agendas. 
On Tuesday, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, who is terrible, said Trump was, quote, conducting one of the biggest cover-ups of any administration in the history of the United States. True. But then Hoyer stopped short of calling for an immediate impeachment inquiry, saying, quote, I don't think we're there at this point. So he's conducting one of the biggest cover-ups of any administration in the history of the United States, but mm, maybe not time for impeachment. So this is beginning to get, as I see it, and and to look uh, a bit ridiculous, frankly. I do understand the Democrats' methodical process here of wanting to move through the courts to get the various rulings on contempt, etc. That's one track, and they are doing it. They could move a, a bit faster there, for example, moving immediately to vote on contempt on Don McGahn today, but they could move a bit faster. But that's OK. They're moving in the right direction in that regard in uh, in court. None of that, however, prevents an official impeachment inquiry in the House, which might even serve to give their court fights even more legal standing. But calls to launch an impeachment inquiry have uh, escalated quickly, no matter what uh, Hoyer and Pelosi try to do to uh, hold them back especially since the White House's announcement on Monday that McGahn would not testify. And calls for impeachment are even being heard now among a number of those in-house leadership, if not yet from Pelosi and Hoyer. Congresswoman Maxine Waters of California said she agrees that the court victory on Monday was an encouraging sign, but she told reporters that, quote, winding your way through the courts could take a lot of time. She said, we also know that this is something that the president has relied upon in his business dealings, that he can win in the courts because he can outlast those who are bringing lawsuits against him. That, she said, in explaining her support for launching an impeachment inquiry. She said, so while I have great appreciation for that ruling, I still think we should move forward. During a television appearance on Tuesday morning, Congressman Jamie Raskin said that he and, quote, a lot of other Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, where the uh, where uh, such in inquiries begin, impeachment inquiries would begin, that they were eager to launch an impeachment inquiry because they had seen ample evidence of, quote, high crimes committed by Donald Trump. Yeah, thank you, Congressman Raskin. Me too. And just about every other American who is paying any attention and isn't brain poisoned by Fox News and Donald Trump. Raskin uh, said on MSNBC, I would totally support opening an impeachment inquiry at this point. Here he is on MSNBC today. Look, obviously we're involved in a serious conversation here, which is how do you deal with the most lawless and obstructionist administration of our lifetimes? And those of us or many of us on the Judiciary Committee have been exposed to this overwhelming evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors. And it was reported by Special Counsel Mueller that there were at least 10 or 11 episodes where the president interfered with the law enforcement investigation being conducted by the Special Counsel. So that's staring us in the face. And now what we have is a president who has expanded uh, the strategy of obstruction to obstruct Congress. And he's acting in blatant defiance and contempt of our lawful powers under Article One of the Constitution. So the question isn't whether to impeach or not to impeach. The question is whether or not to launch an inquiry into whether there were high crimes and misdemeanors and what Congress should do about it. 
is Nancy Pelosi being too careful here? Well, you know, we love Nancy Pelosi precisely because she is careful and, uh, you know, she's a great political strategist. So we have to take very seriously everything that she's saying. And it's a dilemma for all of us because. But you simply disagree with her. Well, uh, let's put it like this. The, the impeachment is the last line of constitutional self-defense that the people in the Congress have against a lawless president who is trampling the Constitution and acting like a king. But impeachment asks us to decide both a question of law and a question of politics. And the question of law is whether there were high crimes and misdemeanors, which we take to be public offenses against the state and against the people through the Constitution. But it also asks us to ask the political question, which is how does impeachment fit in with everything else we're doing? And I think that's the discussion we're having, and it's a completely legitimate and valid discussion. And obviously, we'll go on as we struggle to deal with this administration, which is shutting down all of our requests for subpoenas, shutting down all of our requests for witnesses and documents. So this is an unprecedented situation we're in, and so we appreciate the fact that all of us are on the same team trying to figure out how to deal with it. So given that point, you believe starting the process will give you access to information to if you have an inquiry you can get more of that information but then there are people like your colleague Hakeem Jeffries who asked this question and I'm quoting him here why would we open an impeachment inquiry if we're winning in the court system how do you answer that question well well, we're winning in the court system um our victories against the White House saying basically they don't have to cooperate with Congress's demands for information. The reason that we want that information is we want to determine whether there were high crimes and misdemeanors and also what we can do to try to clear out the corruption in the executive branch. For example, on the Oversight Committee where I serve as well, we have an investigation going on into the White House Personnel Office where 25 people were rejected by the professional staff in terms of getting their security clearance, they were overruled by the White House, by the president who said, let's grant security clearance to people who were found totally not qualified to have it. So we're doing an investigation into that. They've shut us down on that, and we're trying to fight that out in court as well. So we will continue to fight in court. We will continue to fight in the court of public opinion. And if it comes to it, we will launch an impeachment inquiry. So all of these are tools in the constitutional toolkit that we have to deal with the lawlessness of the administration. That was Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, who was on the uh, Judiciary and, uh, I think he said, Oversight Committees there, and a part of the House leadership. John Yarmuth, a Democrat from Kentucky, uh, the House Budget Committee chair, said there is a growing understanding that the impeachment process is inevitable. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, who has signed on to a resolution that calls for the House Judiciary Committee to look into whether to launch impeachment proceedings, told NBC News on Tuesday, quote, I believe we have come to a time of impeachment. Asked at what point she thought Pelosi would agree, AOC said public pressure would be the deciding factor. She said, I think it really depends on everyday Americans. If you have a representative that is in a close seat and you think that we should be upholding the rule of law, I think it's time to give your representative a call, she said. In case you would like to take up Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on that, you can reach your member of Congress by calling 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. 
Congresswoman Diana DeGette of Colorado is a 12-term lawmaker. She announced on Twitter on Tuesday that she backs the initiation of an impeachment inquiry. Uh, Calls for impeachment proceedings by some of Democratic leadership have grown as well this week. The Post reports that during closed-door meetings on Monday night, several members of Pelosi's leadership team pressed her to begin an impeachment inquiry. According to multiple folks in the room, at least five members of Pelosi's leadership team, four of whom also sit on the House Judiciary, with uh, jurisdiction over impeachment, had pressed her in that closed-door meeting to allow the panel to start an inquiry, which they argued would actually help investigators attain documents and testimony that Trump has blocked. Several hours later, Nadler, uh, Chairman Nadler, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, met with Pelosi himself, and yes, reportedly, he made the case to start the inquiry. At least that was uh, reported reportedly what he told his uh, panel members on a call. So even Nadler is now pushing for this. Pelosi declined to endorse the idea in both cases, according to officials. She and Hoyer argued that such an inquiry would other undercut other House investigations, although I've just gone through a number of the other chair Uh, uh, men and women on some of the other committees who are saying, yeah, we could use an inquiry here. So unclear that it would undercut other House investigations. Some Democratic members call for more forceful action, uh, according to who is this NBC? Uh, Pelosi has scheduled that special closed door caucus on Wednesday. That'll be an interesting meeting to be in, like to be a A fly on the wall for that one there. yeah. Yeah. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky of Illinois told reporters on Tuesday that she expects the Wednesday meeting will focus on the growing calls for impeachment. She said, I think we're going to have an important meeting tomorrow to discuss it. I believe that uh, he has definitely committed impeachable crimes, uh, offenses, she said, while describing the caucus as somewhat divided. The question is, how do we follow up on all of the misdeeds that we have seen? Well, here's the answer, Congresswoman. You impeach. All right, you at least start the impeachment inquiry. But she says, you know, what is the solution? What do, what do we do about these impeachable offenses? Huh? If wow. only there were a tool of some kind. thing we could do. But many of the uh, Democrats pushing to maintain the current trajectory argued that the ruling by the federal judge on Monday in favor of the House Oversight Committee's bid to obtain the uh, Trump financial records, that means that impeachment is not needed to continue the investigation. Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida argued as much. She said, I think we need to make sure that we do as much investigating as we can. And if that leads us to looking into impeachment, we'll get there. But one step at a time, she said. Well, as we noted yesterday, Democrats now also have a Republican in the House on their side. So it is difficult to understand really Why this is so difficult for Democrats. Congressman Justin Amash, Republican of Michigan, uh, who was elected during the GOP Tea Party wave of 2010. He's co-founder of the uh, the far right GOP Freedom Caucus in the House. As we discussed yesterday, he took to Twitter again on Monday to defend his belief tweet that was tweeted out over the weekend that President Trump participated in impeachable conduct related to his efforts to obstruct special counsel Robert Mueller's probe 
and that, quote, Mueller's report reveals that President Trump engaged in specific actions and a pattern of behavior that meet the threshold for impeachment. That's what he said over the weekend discussing, quote, impeachable conduct. Amash was then met with criticism from his own Republican leadership and Trump himself, who slammed the Republican lawmaker for being a, quote, loser and, quote, total lightweight, which, by the way, he is neither. Uh, he is very Justin Amash is very smart and, frankly, very well respected in Congress, even if some of his Freedom Caucus colleagues are now really mad at him for following the Constitution and the rule of law and stuff. Not long after uh, Amash clicked send on his criticism over the weekend, he also earned a Republican primary challenger up there in Michigan, though he doesn't seem to be too concerned about that. But in the new Twitter thread on Monday, Amash said that those who believe Trump did, uh, didn't intend to illegally obstruct justice... I guess he just accidentally, repeatedly obstructed justice. Uh, so if he didn't intend, the argument goes, therefore he can't be impeached for it. Well, Amash says that those folks are, quote, resting their argument on several falsehoods. He said people who say there are there were no underlying crimes and therefore the president could not have intended to illegally obstruct the investigation and therefore cannot be impeached arresting their arguments on several falsehoods. One, they are saying there were no underlying crimes. In fact, there were many crimes revealed by the investigation, writes Amash, some of which were charged, some of which were not, but are nonetheless described in Mueller's report. Two, he says, uh, they say obstruction of justice requires an underlying crime, in fact, he notes obstruction of justice does not require the prosecution of an underlying crime. And there is a logical reason for that. He says prosecutors might not charge a crime precisely because obstruction of justice successfully denied them timely access to evidence that could have led to a prosecution. By that misguided theory, uh, Amash notes, if an underlying crime were required then prosecutors could charge obstruction of justice only if it were unsuccessful in completely obstructing the investigation. This would make no sense, he writes. And he's correct. Number three, they imply the president should be permitted to use by any uh, to use any means to end whatever he claims to be a frivolous investigation, no matter how unreasonable his claim that the president somehow has this right if he thinks this is frivolous. That's exactly what the attorney general actually argued in his uh, Senate testimony a few weeks ago. In fact, notes Amash, the president could not have known whether every single person Mueller investigated did or did not commit any crime. So there's no way that the president could have decided, oh, this was frivolous because the president, in fact, doesn't know if it was frivolous. In fact, it wasn't. Many of them did commit crimes. Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, is now in federal prison for three years because of crimes found by the special counsel. Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, is in jail due to crimes found by the special counsel's investigation. Manafort's business partner, Rick Gates, who served on Trump's campaign and on his transition team and on the inauguration team, 
uh, which is still also being investigated. He pleaded guilty to crimes and he awaits sentencing. Campaign advisor George Papadopoulos pleaded guilty, served time in jail, thanks to the special counsel's probe. Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, you may have heard of him, he pleaded guilty to a whole bunch of charges for which he faces jail time, which Trump is seeing, uh, is seen, uh, trying to cover up in the Mueller report. And, of course, there are a couple dozen Russians who were also indicted in the affair, uh, but who have yet to be uh, uh, charged because they are in Russia. Anyway, Amash, uh, finishing up with him, he says they imply, his critics imply, that high crimes and misdemeanors requires charges of a statutory crime or misdemeanor. In fact, high crimes and misdemeanor is not defined in the Constitution and does not require corresponding statutory charges. The context implies conduct that violates the public trust. And that view is echoed, he says, by the framers of the Constitution and early American scholars. Amash is not backing down on this. Uh, but reading the responses to his thread uh, on Twitter uh, from the various Trumpers out there revealed very clearly that those Trumpers have no idea what is actually in the Mueller report. Comment after comment says, what crime? Name the crime. There's no crime. So how can he have obs uh, obstructed it? No collusion, no obstruction. Of course, Obstruction itself is a crime all by itself. But the fact that these folks had a apparently no idea that obstruction is a standalone crime. But more importantly, uh, that they were be unaware of all of the other crimes charged and otherwise in the Mueller report means that not only did they not read it, they have no clue what is in it. Because they likely get all of their so-called news from Fox News who keeps telling them falsely that the Mueller report found no collusion and no obstruction and no crimes, and it decidedly did not. That, as far as I can tell, is precisely why an impeachment inquiry is needed to lay out all of those crimes before the American people on television where Republicans and Fox News cannot avoid it or lie about it, or at least not as easily. And then we'll see how the American people feel about it. But at least Congress will be doing its constitutional duty in that case to hold a president accountable for the many high crimes and misdemeanors that Trump has so clearly already been discovered to have carried out, so clearly that even Republican Tea Party Freedom uh, Caucus Congressman Justin Amash was able to notice it. Once again, if you can't impeach Trump, what president can ever be held to the impeachment standard? You may as well just strike the impeachment clause from the Constitution because it will only ever be used by Republicans against Democratic presidents from here on out. The story will continue uh, quite quickly at this point, I suspect, even if it will still feel maddeningly slow each and every day that this painfully inches along. Yes, running very late. I know. Quick break, and we are back with some election news, some more GOP election fraud straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, more, more, more than we can fit into one single Bradcast. So uh, I'm going to have to cut my election stuff in half. Oh. Yeah, I know. Thanks to our uh, scofflaw criminal president today. But that just gives you another reason to tune into tomorrow's thrilling Bradcast, right? There you go. Looking on the bright side. So more, 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 more GOP election fraud. Oh, the Democrats in Oregon are going to hate me for this story. Uh, and in Washington and in Colorado, those states all now have vote by mail elections. For the most part, almost everybody votes with absentee ballots. Many of the Democrats in California are going to hate me now, too, where more than 50 percent now vote by mail here in my state. Oh, well, as I have long argued, vote by mail elections are a terrible idea unless one literally cannot vote in person on Election Day for whatever reason or if you happen to live somewhere where you are forced to use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, for example, like the ones that are coming here to Los Angeles before 2020 that already exist across the state of Georgia and other locations, um, except for those circumstances, I have long argued, much to the chagrin of my friends in Oregon and elsewhere, that absentee voting is a terrible idea. Unless, by the way, unless you're able to deliver your ballot in person, if you want to get a vote-by-mail ballot and bring it in person, hopefully on Election Day, to your precinct or county headquarters, okay, that's all right. For voters in the states that I mentioned or any others, uh, feel free to send me your hate mail. If you like, I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I read them all. Uh, anyway, here is just another reason why vote by mail is a terrible idea. From the Miami New Times last night. This is uh, Jerry Ionelli over there reports an explosive 150 page WhatsApp chat leaked to the Miami New Times appears to show members of Florida's Miami-Dade County Commission District 5 candidate Alex Diaz de la Portilla, uh, members of his 2018 campaign ca uh, campaign team discussing destroying or stealing absentee ballots from voters who selected Diaz de la Portilla's opponent, Zoreta Barrero. In one message, a campaign worker posted an image of a ballot and then joked that it had been stolen. In another text, someone took a photo of a ballot and wrote, bye-bye. In a third message, someone instructed a campaign worker to, quote, tear up the ballot good. Diaz de la Portilla did not initially respond to messages from New Times. He's currently running for City of Miami Commission. But after the story was uh, first published, Diaz de la Portilla texted New Times and claimed that the chat logs were not associated with him in any way. 
None of this is from my campaign or my campaign workers, he said. Your article is libelous. The WhatsApp chat, which includes names and multiple working phone numbers, began on April 19 of 2018. This is last year. Whoever started the group named the thread Alex Diaz de la Portilla. The candidate is referenced consistently throughout the discussion. The vast majority of the chat appears to show various campaign volunteers coordinating meeting points and canvassing plans throughout the county. Most of the file, uh, the New Times notes, is mundane. Uh, but at one point in the thread, while the group was discussing voter outreach efforts, someone wrote that, quote, Alex liked the strategy. So these apparently were people who were in touch with Alex. In a different section of the thread, the group repeatedly claims that it's phone banking on Diaz de la Porta's behalf. One woman consistently says that she is acting as a point person between Diaz de la Portilla and the group. A source, a source with knowledge of the thread told the New Times that the people involved, who are in most cases identified only by phone numbers in this uh, chat text, that they had been gathered by a local campaign consultant to canvas District 5, which stretches across Spanish-speaking parts of mainland Miami and uh, onto Miami Beach. On May 11 of last year, someone posted an image of a ballot that had been sent to an address on Northwest 1st Street. The worker then wrote in Spanish, stolen. Ha 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 ha. I did not give it to the lady, but what do we do if she voted for Zareda? They weren't sure what to do with the ballot if it was uh, for someone else. New Times reached a woman at that phone number, and when the woman was asked about the text thread, she immediately hung up. After the campaign worker posted the image, someone responded that the volunteer should shred the document. And uh, it includes, uh, you know, talking about, oh, tear up the ballot. Good. Are you sure? Yes. Take it to uh, blah, blah, blah. She will know what to do. OK, perfect. Thumbs up. Happy face emoji. Uh, no, someone else says, I already have it super hidden. Ready. Thanks. Thank God we took away votes from two Democrats. Ha, ha, ha. Blogger Al Crespo first published some of the documents on his website over the weekend in response to Zaredo Barrero's husband, ex-county commissioner Bruno Barrero, expressed outrage about all of this, saying uh, on Facebook, quote, this is proof they will do anything to steal an election. And this comes on the heels, well, we're learning about it on the heels of what happened in North Carolina, where a U.S. House district will remain uh, vacant. The seat will remain vacant in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District for almost a year because, similarly, a Republican hired a contractor to carry out absentee ballot fraud. Now, I know, as I mentioned at the top, I'm going to hear from my friends in Oregon who love their vote by mail. And I understand it's convenient. It helps turn out and everything else. But it does make defrauding elections, frankly, a lot easier. Yeah. Once it, it leaves your site and doesn't really kind of seem to have a good chain of custody there, unlike when you can turn in your paper ballot to your precinct where it on does, election day, on election day, yeah. where at least that chain of custody is yeah. more secure. In any event, as the Miami Herald notes on this case, uh, if Diaz de la Portilla's campaign really did engage in ballot fraud, apparently it did not work. 
The former Republican state senator came in third behind Barrero and progressive candidate Eileen Higgins. In this contest, Higgins, the progressive, later beat Barrero in a runoff election and became the first non-Hispanic candidate in decades to represent the area. As I said, some uh, chilling election news that we will have to get to on another day, particularly from, um, well, Maryland and uh, Steny Hoyer's home state. But, uh, yeah, sorry, it's going to have to wait. But you'll have to tune in tomorrow. Until then, we'll take a quick break, and we will be back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report, which is way more fun than anything I was going to cover anyway. (laughs) Right? Of course. Yeah. Always. We'll we'll see. (laughs) That's right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I mean, really, is there any question as to why Republicans are always trying to uh, put in laws in place to prevent so-called voter fraud? Because they know they are out there committing it. That wasn't voter fraud that we talked about in the last segment. That was actually election fraud. The voters did nothing wrong. But uh, that's why Republicans are always doing what they're doing. I'm sure those Democratic, uh, you know, Democrats are doing the same thing somewhere out there. But uh, Republicans sure do talk about fraud a lot and then come up with laws that would not prevent the type of fraud that we just discussed. Classic misdirection. They're very good at that. They are. Uh, On the other hand, welcome back to the broadcast where Desi Doyen is very good at our latest Green News report. Bullseyes all the way across parts of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. Yet another round of extreme weather hits the Midwest. Yet another U.S. coal company goes bankrupt. BP and Shell lobbying for a carbon emissions tax, but there's a catch. There's always a catch. Plus... This is a big, bold, ambitious plan because we're a big, bold, ambitious nation. 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls Governor Inslee and Senator Warren unveil ambitious climate policies. All of those ambitions and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. They're coming after our hamburgers, Congressman. They want to take away your hamburger. This is what Stalin dreamt about, but never achieved. What are you talking about? That's not Stalin's dream. That is the Hamburglar's dream. This is your Green News Report. One said the state is an instrument in the hands of the ruling class, while the other said, robble, robble. Okay, Desi Doyen, this is getting... Redonkulous, but more bad news 
for the Midwest when it comes to weather. Yes, another outbreak of severe extreme storms hit across the Plains State at the beginning of this week. The National Weather Service forecast of tornadoes and flash floods was so severe that in Oklahoma, schools canceled classes and Tinker Air Force Base evacuated all of its aircraft in advance. Hmm. 67 tornadoes were reported over the weekend in five states from Texas to Nebraska. Now, data on the influence of man-made global warming on tornadoes is mixed, but scientists have identified a trend toward more frequent and more powerful tornado swarms since the 1970s. And the Midwest has absolutely gotten slammed this year. One storm after another, flooding for uh, more than a month. Uh, This is getting really bad, this climate crisis of ours. More bad news for big coal. Wyoming's Cloud Peak Energy has become the latest high-profile U.S. coal company to seek bankruptcy, citing high debt and weak coal sales. Cloud Peak owes Wyoming counties nearly $15 million in taxes and fees, yet court filings show executives paid themselves nearly $11 million in bonuses this year alone. Of course they did. They need to be able to not not pay their workers their pensions after they shut down the company. The Intercept reports that Cloud Peak's bankruptcy filing also shows it was paying climate change denial groups to sow doubt about man-made global warming. That was totally worth it. And of course, as you mentioned, the question now is whether Cloud Peak will honor its cleanup liabilities to the state and its pension and health care obligations to coal miners or whether it will stick taxpayers with the bill. I don't understand. I thought Barack Obama's war on coal was over. Donald Trump was going to save the industry. Was he lying or something? Meanwhile, oil giants Shell and BP are pouring millions into a new lobbying campaign to get lawmakers to put a price on carbon emissions with the revenue returned directly to taxpayers. It's part of a proposal from Americans for Carbon Dividends, the lobbying arm of the nonprofit Climate Leadership Council. But there's a catch. In exchange for finally allowing Congress to limit their ability to pollute for free, Shell and BP want a ban on all federal carbon regulations, and (laughs) they demand immunity from climate liability lawsuits brought by cities seeking damages to pay for billions of dollars in repairs to infrastructure to withstand climate impacts. Now, why would they want immunity from that? They didn't do anything. That's what they tell us. Finally, two 2020 Democratic presidential candidates have unveiled detailed policies to address climate change if they are elected. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts proposes mobilizing the U.S. military to prepare for and combat climate change, effectively leveraging the power of the government purse to require the military and its contractors to cut emissions at all levels, deploy clean energy infrastructure, and harden bases against extreme weather and rising seas. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee rolled out his Evergreen Economy Plan, an incredibly comprehensive policy blueprint to transition the entire U.S. to a low-carbon economy that he says would create 8 million jobs over 10 years. It includes items like a Climate Conservation Corps modeled after the Depression-era Civilian Conservation Corps that built much of the transportation infrastructure we still use today. On CNN, Inslee said that investments in clean energy are the best way to stimulate the economy and create jobs. We have the last chance to rescue our nation from Mm -hmm. the monster of, of the climate crisis. And we know we can grow jobs because we're doing it today. 
clean energy jobs are going twice as fast as the rest of the economy. And we need a plan that uh, says not only we're going to the moon, but designs a rocket ship. And this plan is the design for a, a, an ability to grow a new clean energy economy with jobs across the United States. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Rocket man, Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yeah, and I just want to add one thing yeah. about Inslee's plan. If you want to get an idea of what a world in which we actually do act in sufficient scope and speed to mm-hmm. meet the climate crisis, then his 38-page plan, it's really comprehensive, really detailed, really puts some, some nuts and bolts to the ideas of what we can do and how we can achieve it and create all those jobs, More too. detailed than the uh, Green New Deal itself, which was Much. very sort of general. Yeah, that's just a yeah. framework. This is the blueprint. All right. Does that mean you're uh, endorsing uh, Inslee for president? I'm not endorsing anybody for president. In fact, I think all the Democratic candidates should endorse Inslee's plan of this is how we should do this. Let's not reinvent the wheel. He's got it right here. Very quickly, some breaking news before we get out today. The New York State Assembly has now passed a bill that would allow state prosecutors to pursue charges against any individual granted a presidential pardon for a similar federal crime. So in other words, let's say... Donald Trump decides to pardon his son, Don Jr., for some federal crime that might be brought against him. He can now be tried in state court for that same crime in New York. And next up on uh, Wednesday, the legislature is expected to pass a separate bill that would allow three congressional committees, the the New York legislature, uh, to allow three congressional committees in the U.S. House to seek Donald Trump's state tax returns. That bill also has Governor Cuomo's support and will likely be signed. So the stories continue and they will continue once again on our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion today or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com and I hope you will find, follow and share all that we do on the Facebooks and the Twitters where I can be found at The Brad Blog. Finally, my thanks to those of you who help keep us going every day by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. If you are not one of those people, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Sign up for a subscription, monthly subscription of any amount you like or just a one-time donation. We could really use the help. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 